The reading of God's Word this morning comes from Exodus 20, verse 7, and Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Hear the Word of the Lord. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Father, we do come before you this morning praising your great name. Father, it is because of your generosity and your grace that we return to you what you have first given to us from your hand. We ask that you would use these gifts, these ties, these offerings in order that your kingdom would be revealed throughout the world. In order that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all in word and in deed, and that your name would be glorified. Father, we ask as we come now before your word, we ask that you would give to us your spirit, that your spirit would come and that your spirit would speak to us through your word, that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would reveal us to ourselves even. We pray that This morning, we would be reminded, even as we look at the third commandment, we would be reminded that we are far more broken, far more fallen, far more sinful, far more twisted and corrupted than we could ever really imagine about ourselves. And so together, we stand in need of the same thing. We stand in need of good news. We need to be reminded this morning that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came. That he came to live and to die and be raised from the dead for us. In order that we can be both far more broken than we could ever imagine. But at the very same time, know that we are far more loved and far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray this morning as we approach your word that you would help us with the eyes of faith to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. And at this time, the children are dismissed to Children's Church. Children ages three to six can make their way to the back of the sanctuary at this time. Uh, a few weeks ago, we uh, we started this series on the Ten Commandments, and this morning we've made our way to uh, the Third Commandment, which is uh, concerning God's name, um, not taking His name in vain or not misusing His name, as some other translations put it. And we've been saying throughout that all of these commands, they both drive us to grace and are used to shape us by grace, right? In other words, the commandments, they come and they reveal 
our brokenness, right? Our need for grace. And therefore, they drive us to Jesus. That in Him we would find life and we would find grace. But the law also shows us what we were truly designed as God's creation, what we were truly designed to be and to do. And so finding mercy and grace in Jesus, he sends us back to the law in order that he might shape us by his grace, right, and restore our humanity. But the third commandment, okay, I will admit at the beginning that at first it doesn't seem all that significant. Um, But I ask you to bear with me and just give it time um, and let, let its importance sink in. You know the feeling you get when someone forgets your name, right? You're, you're at a party or at some social function or maybe you bump into someone uh, on the aisle in, in, in your local Kroger or something like that. Um, and being excited to see a f- familiar face, you might walk up and say, hi, Tom, or hi, Sarah, or you know, whatever. Um, and it happens just like that in an instant. You know, eye contact is made, but you're staring into vacant, distant, blank, panicked eyes, right? Because you realize in that moment that it is so very, very painfully obvious that Tom or Sarah or whoever has no idea who you are, right? They've forgotten your name. And so what we do, what I do in this situation is I try to play it cool, you know, ah, laugh it off, funny. Don't worry, I'm bad with names too, Uh, something like that, right? But maybe, just maybe, what if it was someone you had really hoped to impress? Someone in the office or in one of your social circles that you run in, and that person forgets your name. And then it stings. And then it feels like you almost got sucker punched in the gut. You were forgotten. Why do you feel foolish? I mean, even if it's just for a very, very brief moment, why do you feel slightly embarrassed when someone forgets your name? I think you know where I'm headed with this. It doesn't feel, it doesn't just feel like your name was forgotten. It feels like you were forgotten altogether. Like you didn't matter. Like you weren't worth remembering. My point is this, that names, they are more than just arbitrary labels, right? We are known by our names. The authors Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon write this, right? We meet a stranger and ask, what is your name? To name ourselves to another is a move from estrangement toward friendship. Names are more than arbitrary labels. To tell a stranger your name can be among the most intimate of human exchanges. There is power in a name. Power in being able to call someone by name. In Genesis, humanity is shown to have dominion when God gives humanity the power to name the animals. See, this command, it will remain insignificant to us until we start asking ourselves, what's in a name? For God to give us his name, the Bible says it's a big deal. It's a huge deal for him to give us his name. And so God comes and he says, do not take my name in vain. 
Do not misuse my name that I have given to you. There are three things that I want us to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about the importance of God's name. I want us to talk about the misuse of God's name. And finally, I want us to talk about the right use of God's name. First, think with me about the importance of God's name. I realize that my introduction kind of hinted at its importance, but we need to dig a little bit deeper. See, our instinct with most of the commandments is we, we see this list of commands and immediately we start thinking about what? What does this forbid for me or what does this command of me? But I'm really trying to focus our attention here in this first, uh, this first point on why. Because I think once you understand why God's name is so important, the application of what to do starts to become obvious. So I'm going to spare you from a big history lesson here, but we need to think about the context here a little bit. You you have to remember that here God is at, that the people are gathered around Mount Sinai and God is speaking to his people, the nation of Israel, that he has just set free from captivity in Egypt, right? And Egypt was a very pluralistic society, right? And so Israel had become very familiar with all kinds of gods that were worshipped in Egypt. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 12, God says, I will bring my judgment on what? On all the gods of Egypt. See, we don't have time for it this morning, but that's what all the plagues were. See, in the plagues, God was systematically toppling and destroying the Egyptian deities one by one. Right? But for our purposes this morning, here's the thing I want you to understand. These people were in a culture where the names of these gods were very, very important. Because you see, if you knew the name of a particular god, you were granted access to that god. And so if you knew the name of the God of the sun or the rain or of the Nile River or whatever it would be in this culture, you could ask for a plentiful harvest. You were given access. You could ask for a blessing on your crops. Or if you knew the fertility God's name, you could go and ask for children. You were given access to Noah God's name brought you to his doorstep. And I think we all understand this because we say things among ourselves like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right? We talk about dropping names because we all know that names have power. And that if you know the right name, names can open doors. And see, spoken into this context, God is saying, names give you access. He's saying a name moves you from estrangement towards friendship. He's saying, my name opens doors that no other name in the universe can open. And I've given you my name. If you stay with me just for a few more seconds here, do you remember the familiar Sunday school story in Exodus where Moses first met God at the burning bush, right? And maybe you remember how Moses initially responded to God's instructions of him, right, or for him. This is what Moses said. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? 
Then what shall I tell them? See, right there, Moses is saying, these people, they are definitely going to want your name. Because they understand the power of names. They understand that God gives his people access to himself through his name. But God's name, it it, it does even more than that, right? It reveals. Maybe you remember that when Moses asked for God's name, this is what God said to Moses. He said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Those Hebrew words for I am are are the words that form the name Lord. You know, when you're reading through your English Bible, right, in, in that translation, every time you come across the name Lord and it's in all caps, right, those are the words for I am. This is God's special covenant name for his people. Like you would see in, I don't know, maybe the third commandment. Yes, it's there, all caps. That's the name we're talking about. Just think about this story in Exodus and you will realize that God, he, when he calls himself, I am, he is saying far more than just I exist. He is saying, I am with my people. He is saying, I am present with my people. He's saying when they are oppressed and when they are suffering and when they are under affliction, I have not and I cannot forget them because I have set my name upon them. I am their God. And this is how the commandments begin in Exodus chapter 20. To remind you that he is a God of grace to his people and to you. Because the commandments begin like this. I am the Lord, your God. The significance and the importance of a name. Prior to the Revolutionary War in America, there was a a man named Jonathan Meigs. M-E-I-G-S is how you spell his last name. Anyway, he had courted this young woman and he had proposed to her, but she shot him down, rejected him. And I want to just read you a piece of his story, which was printed in the New York Times newspaper on February 20th, 1882. It was a Valentine's Day story in the newspaper that day. This is what it says. Many years ago, in anti-revolutionary days, Jonathan Meggs courted a young lady who rejected his addresses. Meggs continued to love the girl, and though too proud and sensitive to try a second time to win her, he determined never to marry anyone else and to live and die a bachelor unless she, of her own volition, relented. After a few years, the lady did relent, or perhaps got to know her own heart better, and sent a letter to her former suitor. Meggs got the letter and found in it only the two words, return Jonathan. Pre-modern text message. Story goes on. It was enough. Jonathan did return and made her his wife. Now listen to this. Their first child was baptized, return Jonathan, to commemorate the brief letter that saved the Meg's family from extinction. And goes on. And from that day to this, there has been a return Jonathan Meg's in every generation of that family. See, names are more than labels, right? I mean, in every generation, a child named return Jonathan Meg's, a strange name to be sure. But can you imagine every time 
that father spoke his son's name. Every time he called his son to himself, right? When he bounced his grandson on his knee and called his name. I mean, that name was full of meaning to him, right? It brought back to him that love story. It reminded him of the most warm and welcome words he had ever heard in his life. Return, Jonathan. What would you do if you knew God's name to be the most wonderful, welcome, and warm word you had ever heard or ever hoped to hear? A name that brought you into his presence, right? Open doors that no other name in the universe could open. A name that was a revelation of grace and mercy and love and beauty and holiness and righteousness to you. The third commandment I'm telling you is important because God's name is important. So maybe now we can work secondly on understanding the misuse of God's name. What it means to take his name in vain. Now, of course, this command, it has something to say about our speech, but it also pushes us further and deeper into the way we live. And I want to get there. But to start with, the language of the third commandment, it's spoken of in courtroom language, right? And it certainly has to do with our speech when it comes to O's, because God is saying, do not misrepresent my character by picking up my name to justify your evil. To justify your wickedness. I wonder if you would read sometime the unflattering history of the church in our own culture. That those times when God's name is used. And his, when his revelation has been used to justify the hatred, abuse and mistreatment of individuals or groups of people. When his name and his revelation has been used to justify greed and manipulation and power grabs among us. When grace is used as an excuse for our idolatry. God is saying he will never take the misuse of his name lightly. And of course God is saying here, he's saying anytime we speak flippantly or irreverently or casually about his character, we do damage to his name. He's saying anytime we speak untruthfully about his character, we have misused his name. We failed to treat his name with the importance that his name is due. But here's where I want us to step a little further into this commandment and into what it means to misuse God's name because Jesus came and Jesus said this. Many of you will remember what he said here. He said, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, our speech simply reveals the nature of our hearts, right? God is saying that not just your speech, but your heart, your attitudes, your motivation, your entire life is meant to honor God's name and his reputation in the world. So enter one of the scariest passages, I think, in the Bible. The passage we read from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says that there are people who call on his name in verse 21 and 22 of Matthew chapter 7. You know, to know God's name, as we've just seen, is to know something of his character, right? In other words, Jesus could have said, there are people who know truth about me. 
There are people who know their Bibles and know their theology. But you notice how Jesus, um, he says these people will repeat his name, Lord, Lord. And every time there's repetition in the Bible, it's there in the original languages to serve as a matter of emphasis, right? And so Jesus is saying, not only do these people know intellectual truth about me, there is certain emotional engagement among these people. But then you read on and you see how active these people that Jesus is describing are. Verse 24, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They're saying we preached in your name. We evangelized. We discipled. Right. They're saying in your name, we ministered to people in your name. We perform miracles. Right. See, you see how that in that passage, how that little phrase in your name is repeated three times. We knew the right stuff. We felt something for you, Jesus. And we did so much good stuff in your name. But then comes Jesus response in verse 24. I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. And see, we hear that and we scratch our heads and we think, how is that possible? How could Jesus say that to these people? The answer is in verse 21, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus is saying that it is possible to know your theology, to feel certain things, and to do lots of good things, right? It's possible to do all of that and truthfully to never give up your independence. That it's possible for you to do all of those things and ultimately be refusing to bow your knee to the kingship of Jesus, to take his name and claim to be his follower without really submitting to his reign. Jesus says to these people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or you evildoers. And what does the third commandment say? For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know, it seems that I've been quoting a lot from the English uh, theologian and author from the late 1800s and early 1900s, G.K. Chesterton. Um, But he said that in his experience, the only strong argument against Christianity is Christians. The only strong argument against Christianity is Christians. And I think about this in relation to parenting. I think every parent knows this. The author Anne Lamott, she writes that being a parent means you go through life with the invisible muzzle of a gun held to your head. Encouraging. Um, You may have the greatest joy you ever dreamed of, but you will never again draw an untroubled breath. Parents know that, right? And there are a lot of reasons for the troubled breaths we take when we have children. But one of those reasons is knowing that when your children leave you to go to school, to go be with their friends, they carry your name with them. And the way they live, the way they act, the way they speak reflects to at least some degree on you and your parenting. What G.K. Chesterton was saying was that it isn't these arguments about God's existence or the arguments about the problem of evil or arguments even about the resurrection that 
uh, that, that are most damaging to Christianity or troublesome to Christianity. He is saying it's people who take God's name, who claim the family name of Jesus, but then refuse to submit to him. You aren't just calling your character into question. You're calling his character into question. And he will not hold anyone guiltless, he is saying, who misrepresents his grace, his holiness, his mercy, his faithfulness. To misuse God's name is to refuse to give up your independence. It's to call on his name, right? To feel for him, to do many good things in his name, but never bow your knee to him. To never take your hands off of your life and submit. To misuse his name is to talk about his holiness and faithfulness. And then live in impurity. To misuse his name is to talk about his grace. And then look down your nose at your poor broken neighbor who is not like you. To misuse his name is to talk about his mercy. And then ignore and avoid those around you who are in pain and suffering. To misuse his name is to have a heart and a life that are in contradiction with one another. Giving lip service to the kingship of Jesus without bowing your heart to him. Finally, let's consider together the right use of God's name. What does it look like for us to take up God's name and to use it rightly? What are we supposed to do with this? Especially since probably the majority of us, if we're listening right now, are feeling a little bit troubled because all of us in this room are hypocrites. Um, Myself certainly included. I want to kind of start off where we left off with the last point here. To use God's name rightly is to submit to him. Johnny Cash, um, he sang this song that I love called The Wonderer. He sang it with the band U2. And he has this great line in that song when he sings this. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. And, And the question for us is this. Do we long for the blessings of the kingdom without longing for God himself? Do we give lip service to the kingdom while being unwilling to give up control of our lives? Think about how Jesus taught his followers to pray, right? Many of you have the Lord's Prayer memorized. Uh, It's brief and it's simple, but the order is really, really important. Right? How, how does it start? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, the prayer begins with submission. <laughs> Adoring, cherishing, and honoring God's name and his reputation and his character. It begins by seeking to bend your will to his, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me just say one more thing here and then I'll move on. Jesus is saying that the only right way to, pr- <laughs> the only right way to pray is to take your hands off your life and bow your knee to Jesus. And here's why. The, the Lord speaks about this. Jesus, the, the point of the prayer is not to get things from God. That's what Jesus is teaching in the prayer. The point of prayer is not to get things from God, but to get God himself. It's not just to want the kingdom, but to fall before the king of the kingdom. To seek the kingdom and not the king is to try to use the king. To manipulate the king. To twist the king's arm to get the real desires of your heart. 
You know, back to that passage in Matthew where these people say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? I think you probably hear what's being said in that question. They're saying, Lord, you owe us. You owe us. Look at all we've done. Look at all the good things we've done in your name. Look at our good theology. Right. Look at our sincerity. Look at our activity. Lord, you owe us. Isn't that enough to get your get the blessings of your kingdom? And all of that is a refusal to take God's name rightly, because to use God's name rightly doesn't just mean to take him as king. To use his name rightly also means that we would call upon him to save us from ourselves. That he would be our savior It's to take the name of God's own son, Jesus, and to place all our hope in him. All our hope in his righteousness and not our own. Listen, in the end, there are only two ways to obey the king. Right? You can obey the king to try and get his love and earn his love. Or you can obey the king because he already loves you in Jesus And it's only when you obey the king because he already loves you in Jesus that you will be free of trying to use and manipulate him and twist his arm and simply love and submit to him for who he is. Next Sunday, I'm I'm going to be in Prattville, Alabama, just outside of Montgomery. Um, And I'm going to be there to speak at the ordination service of Alan Bledsoe, who was our, some of you remember, he was our intern last summer here at Grace Community Church. And uh, I was thinking about that trip this past week because my first job after college was in Prattville, Alabama, of all places, just outside of Montgomery. Um, And it's a good thing I'm not there this week, right after the football games uh, yesterday. But um, Alabama will miss. Okay, anyway. I met this uh, elderly couple when I was in Prattville, Alabama. They they were extremely nice. And one weekend, they invited me uh, to come and have lunch with them. And I I can't describe adequately, so I'm I'm just not even going to try, but how amazing their home was. It was huge. It was beautiful. I've never seen anything like this home. Unbelievable. Um, These people were obviously extremely wealthy, right? But it took me a while to figure out why they were so wealthy. Um, And eventually I learned that this woman, her maiden name was Maytag, um, like dishwashers and washing machines, right? And that helped explain the family fortune a little bit to me. But here's what was really interesting. Maytag wasn't her original last name. See, she was an orphaned child, and the Maytag family had adopted her. And when they adopted her, they gave her the family name. And when she had the family name, she became an heiress to their fortune. Names, after all, are really, really important. They were important to that lady. They're important to you, right? And it's in taking God's name as Savior and King that the family name is given to us and we become heirs. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Last little thing here. What must you do to guard your heart? Because listen, I'm suspecting that your heart is a lot like mine, and we are prone to try to use God to get what we want, to chase the kingdom and not the king. We're tempted to look at our theology, our sincerity, our, activ- our activity, and then demand that God owes us blessing in our lives. There's a story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sent the disciples out and he sent them out by pairs to go and spread the message of his kingdom. And it was amazing. And they saw and experienced amazing things. And they came back. And Luke says they came back with joy to report. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And you know what Jesus said? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, that's just weird. That's just so off the cuff. Like... (laughs) While you were out doing that, I've been around forever. Before you ever existed, before the universe ever existed. If that's not a claim to kingship, I don't know what is. I saw Satan, while you saw demons submit in my name, I saw Satan fall like lightning, right? But then he goes on and he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And he says this, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I don't think he could be saying it any clearer. In him, we have been given a new name and those names are are written in heaven. To use his name rightly is to rejoice that he is Savior and King. And this is, after all, why I spent so much time on the commandment that seems to be about speech, not talking about speech. Because what I'm saying is, when you get this and embrace him as Savior and King, it is necessarily going to change the way you speak. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's go before Jesus now in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word again. Thanking you that you speak to us. Thanking you that you reveal yourself to us. That you give to us your name and reveal your character to us. And we thank you for the cross of Jesus, which shows us all at the same time your holiness and your grace, your righteousness and your mercy, your purity and your steadfast love for your people. Father, we pray that this morning as we think about what it means to take your name rightly and to misuse your name, Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts by your spirit, that you would convict us where we need convicting, that you would also comfort us where we need comforting, that you would remind us this morning that we don't make Jesus king. He is king, and he demands our submission, but he is a good king, 
He is a loving king, a faithful king who shows grace to his people. So allow us the grace that we would fall before you and submit to both your kingship and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us know.